0: Often when speaking of whales in Alaska, several images come to mind. One might be a Yankee whaler harpooning right whales in dories, and then later cutting into the floating whales and hauling slabs of blubber on board to melt in tripods on deck. Barrels of oil were then shipped back to New Bedford or Nantucket, and used to light houses and grease the gears of growing industries on the East Coast. Another image is that of Inupiaq whalers in open boats, hunting in order to feed their communities in the Arctic. You might picture an entire village hauling a whale onto the ice and then happily butchering and feasting on this gift from the sea. But the Aleutic slate lance on exhibit at the Alaska State Museum in Juneau evokes a different tradition entirely. mm, Ya-mm, ya-mm, ya-mm. Those are letters in the Russian alphabet, incised down the face of this long and narrow lance. Each Aleutic whaler had a special identifying mark that they put on their lances so that when a whale washed ashore after dying, people would know who had killed it. It could be that these letters are the initials of the whaler, or they might have another meaning entirely, especially when considering that in Aleutic society, whalers were shaman. They used rendered human fat and poisonous flowers to hunt their prey. The Aleutic whaling tradition in itself is fascinating and worthy of exploring. However, there is more to this story those Russian letters. Here we also have the story of whaling in Russian America. You see, those Yankee whalers that you imagine, they were hunting for whales in Russian American waters. Of course, simultaneously, they were hunting for whales in indigenous waters. Moreover, the Aleutic whaler who used that slate lance, he was hunting not only for spiritual reasons, not only to feed his community, but also to provision the Russian American company. I'm an Alaskan historian, Angelie Grantham. In this episode of Alaska Out of the Vault, we will explore the tradition of Aleutic whaling and the history of whaling in Russian America. First, we will learn about Aleutic whaling from a Kodiak archaeologist. Next, we will move on to speaking with an environmental historian of Russian America who will talk about the ways that Russians utilized, managed, and attempted to profit from whales in Russian America. We'll also see how Yankee whalers cause problems for Russian America's administrators and Native people. by getting a sense as to how long whaling has been a part of Aleutic culture, the importance of whales within Aleutic society, and how the hunt was executed. This is archaeologist Patrick Saltenstall. Patrick is curator at the Aleutic Museum in Kodiak.
1: Well, the earliest evidence for whaling, the actual physical evidence at, at a site called Crag Point over on uh, over in Anton Larson Bay, we found a vertebrae with a slate lance in it, a whale vertebrae. So, you know, that we know... Without a doubt that they were hunting whales as long ago, long ago as 2,500 years ago.
0: And um, on that lance, were there identifying marks as well?
1: No. Just a little broken piece that had stuck, that, you know, gone away in there and had broken off in. And, and he, he x-rayed it, and you can sort of see it sticking into the vertebrae.
0: And how, um, how important were whales in a lutex society?
1: very very uh, there you know they're a great deal of the food for every village and they'd use the oil to store vegetables um, you know the those uh, chocolate lily bulbs um, they'd you know you dip fish in it you know oil was really important and so was the so was the meat and then also all the materials you got from the whale the sinew the whale bone you know it was all very important
0: what would they um, use the
1: material for um, I even gather I can't remember where I found this that you know the membrane from the tongue they'd make a raincoat out of it you know um, you know they they um, pretty much everything um, you know and baleen we find lots made out of baleen I've seen baleen nets um, a whole storehouse right there in that whale on the beach you could get all sorts of material from it you'd use the 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 ribs for making the house. Or making digging sticks all sorts of things
0: could you describe how the whales were hunted
1: basically a guy would go out in a kayak with it sometimes there'd be a two people you'd have an apprentice who might um steer the boat you know it would go out on flat calm days you'd hear and see all the water coming out of their spouts and um in the in june july was the best time in into august and you'd um get as close to you as you could i think up like about 60 feet and then you'd You'd aim for that side flipper, that was the best place to get them. Or barring that, you get them a little bit back towards the tail. It would take longer to die if you hit them back there. And they generally tried to hunt young whales. Um, some evidence, maybe the poison wouldn't work on the bigger ones. It wouldn't be enough to, to paralyze that flipper. And they'd use um, mummy or human fat mixed with um, aconite, um, monkshood root.
0: Aconite is found in monkshood flowers, a wildflower endemic to the Kodiak region.
1: In our western world, we like of course it's the it's the aconite that kills them. But I bet you if you asked an a lutic hunter, he'd say no, 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 it's the mummy fat, you know. The the more important the person you you use the fat for, the the stronger the poison. Yes.
0: Aleutic whalers would disinter the bodies of recently dead people and render the fat. Like Patrick said, they preferred to dig up the bodies of powerful people in their community. In fact, one of my favorite anecdotes from Russian America was recorded by Heinrich Johann Holmberg, a Finnish ethnographer who spent time in Kodiak in 1850. In his book, he described whaling rituals, writing, quote, the whale hunters preserved the bodies of renowned men in caves where they assembled prior to the hunt, carried the corpses to nearby streams, laid them in water, and drank from this water. A Kodiak whale hunter once told Baranoff, the former chief manager of the colonies, after informing him that he regarded him as an outstanding man, quote, When you die, I will try to steal your corpse. End quote. How's that for a compliment? Basically, the Aleutic whalers would render human fat and prepare monkshood, which contained the poisonous compound aconite. The whaler would then smear fat on the spear, and the lipids in the fat would bind the poison to the slate. Back to the conversation with Patrick, who continues to describe what happened once the poison spear entered the whale.
1: And then when you struck the flipper, it would um, paralyze it, and so the whale would flip over and drown, basically. And at the Aleutic Museum, we do have a a little um hunting hat talisman and I, I remember it, it clearly depicts a whale but I was like it it didn't really make sense until I realized it was a whale upside down. You know, so that's a whale that's drowned and that's sort of why you'd have that talisman on your hat to um help the whale die.
0: Here Patrick recounts the report of another Kodiak visitor who observed whaling rituals.
1: Over in um Yugak Bay and there was this woman asleep or like pretending she was asleep in the corner and he was like what the- what's with that lady? Why is she doing that? And um, he asked the manager, and she went. he went and talk to her, and he goes, oh, her husband's out hunting whales, and she has to be like that so that the whale will fall asleep and die. Hmm. So there was a lot of a lot more to it than just the hunting lance to kill a whale
0: it seems to have taken several days for the whales to die not only did rituals like the wife pretending to be asleep help to quicken the death in order to secure the whale other actions were taken to try to keep the paralyzed whale nearby as it died
1: would actually once you struck the whale you would take your kayak and go to the entrance of the bay and drag a bag of mummy fat across the bay so that the whale couldn't cross that line of the fat
0: nonetheless many of the whales drifted away this is one of the practical reasons that whalers had their own marks incised on their lances so that when a whale washed up on a shore far from home others would be able to identify it as belonging to that hunter lances like the one with the russian letters were virtually unchanged for 5,000 years for at least 2500 years the alutic had practiced whaling but Patrick noticed a shift in the archaeological record, one that indicated that it was within the last millennia that whaling developed as a cult practice, one in which whalers lived separately from the community. Can you ascertain ways that whaling shifted over time?
1: Yeah, I think it did become like it was a secret society. It was sort of a, there were shamans who hunted whales. Um, you find all those lances in the sites early on, and then they disappear. Like I know that in the late prehistoric period, you do not find any whaling gear in a typical archaeological site. And that's because it's become it's kept in caves, it's kept in secret villages where people lived apart from the rest of society. Um, but I know they were still using those lances. And we have a few sites where you do find these this gear, and it's still made the same way it was 5,000 years ago. It, I think it was a Practiced by the whole village 5,000 years ago, you know, and then I think it becomes sort of secret knowledge.
0: Whales were clearly very important to Alutic society, and the whaling tradition was complex and imbued with rituals and spiritual practices that make it stand out in the region. Patrick and I only began to unpack the complexity of Alutic whaling here. Now we are going to move on to the incision within the slate, those Russian letters. Today we won't delve into the history of Aleutic literacy, but it's important to mention that many Aleutic people were literate in the Russian era. The Cyrillic alphabet, that is the Russian form of writing, had been modified and new letters created to represent sounds in suksastun, which is the Aleutic language. So those Cyrillic letters ya M, incised on the slate lance very likely could have been put there by the Aleutic whaler himself. Let's set the stage for the next big transition in elutic whaling. Imagine an Aleutic whaler in a single-hatch kayak in a bay in the Gulf of Alaska, wielding a slate spear, while simultaneously, Russian explorers sail across the Bering Sea. Of
2: course, Russians noticed from the outset that from the very first times in Alaskan waters, it was full of whales.
0: That's Ryan Jones, associate professor of history at the University of Oregon and author of Empire of Extinction, Russians and the North Pacific's Strange Beasts of the Sea. Ryan notes that George Steller, a member of Bering's Expedition and, as far as we know, the first non-native to step foot on Alaska's soil, came up with a wild plan to profit from Alaska's whales.
2: And that was a point of interest for people like Steller. Uh, he was the first, really, to talk about developing a whaling industry. So on his voyage uh, in 1741, 1742, he uh, noted, wrote back, you know, that the waters of Alaska were just full of whales and that we'd great policy to catch them somehow and ship them to Japan, uh, which was really probably a pretty terrible idea. Uh, Needless to say, it didn't happen. In a way, it was a preview of what Russians, how they would deal with whales in Alaskan waters. It would always seem like there was a possibility of using these creatures to to, uh, transform the colony, uh, to make it more viable, to secure its future, uh, to make it a strategic pivot point in the North Pacific and the Far East and they always met with frustration.
0: Although the ads were stacked against Russia when it came to converting whales into a commercially viable product to sell to other countries, they recognized that whales were extremely important as food and material within Alaska.
2: On the other hand, and the Russians also noticed that Aleuts, Aleutic people as well, were expert whalers. And they noticed that these... Uh, people depended on whale products to a large degree, and so the, there's this kind of hidden history of actually pretty intensive use of whales and whale products throughout the history of Russian America. In fact, whale meat was absolutely crucial to the survival of Russians. You take the Krenitsyn livashov expedition, 1764. They sail out, do some really shoddy work in mapping uh, and reporting back to St. Petersburg to Catherine what's going on here. Uh, Dozens of their men starved to death and died of scurvy while they were anchored in Unalaska. Those who survived, survived mostly because of whale meat. Whale meat that they traded for were given uh, by Aleuts.
0: Ryan details another story where the importance of whales for Russian survival becomes evident. One reported during Captain James Cook's trip to Unalaska in October of 1778.
2: Um, His American Marine, John Ledyard, goes on this this crazy trip by foot across Unalaska to locate the Russian settlement. He finally finds, uh, with, with the help of some Aleutian guides, he finds the Russian settlement there. He sits down for a meal with them. They serve him tea, yes, uh, but they also serve him whale meat, which he's a bit suspicious of, but it reveals the fact that actually Russians on an everyday level, even though they were desperate for bread and vodka, were actually... Eating food that was supplied to them by Aleuts, and that, to a large degree, was whale meat.
0: They even had a euphemism for whale meat.
2: Uh, they called it kolonyalnye pishi or colonial foods, that included like uh, sea lion meat and whale meat. Um, so it was a it was a term which, at least, seems to me to be somewhat derogatory. These were foods you wouldn't eat in Russia, but it also hints at just the, absolutely the crucial nature of whale meat for Russian survival and for the ability to feed as many people as they were able to uh, during their time in Alaska.
0: The Russian American company depended on Alutic and Aleut, also known as Unangan people, for most everything, including providing food and goods for Russian colonists and other natives who were impressed into the service of the Russian American company. Essentially, if whales were a central part to Alutic and Unangan diets and central to Alutic and Unangan material culture, tools, and goods, that meant that whales became critical to Russian diets, Russian material culture, and the goods of Russian America. Today, we won't detail the use of Alutic and Unangan labor by the Russian-American company, since it's covered in another episode. But to quickly rehash, the Unangan and Alutic people were the workforce of the Russian-American company. They had to provide food, tools, garments, kayaks, pretty much everything to the company, which would then redistribute these goods through company stores. Debt was rampant. The internal economy of Russian-America, in many ways, rested on the foundation of co-opting Alutic and Unangan labor and goods. This included whales.
2: They used it uh, to control Aleut and Aleutic labor. And basically what they did was they laid claim to half of any whale that was killed or salvaged um, on shore. Furthermore... the Aleutic women and Elliot women had to process uh, the whale carcass for the company. So it was actually entirely indigenous labor. The company just kind of swooped in and said, half of this whale is ours. They used that half of the whale then to supply the crucial elements for Bidarka building, especially whale sinews. Uh, that was, uh, in their estimation, an irreplaceable part. And so it was uh, of the whale, an irreplaceable part of the Aleutic economy, and of course, crucial to the company because they depended on that labor to catch sea otters. So the whale was a, was a crucial part of the kind of economic policy of the Russian-American company.
0: Now imagine slabs of whale meat being gathered in company stores and distributed to villages and Russian outposts. In an archaeological excavation on Kodiak, Patrick Saltinstall uncovered evidence of this very redistributed whale meat at a Russian-American company work camp.
1: We did excavate that village from about, that, this sort of workstation from about 1830, um, over at um, Cliff Point. And it was kind of neat. We found, they were clearly hunting foxes and fishing for cod for the Russian America company. But we did find whale barnacles. No whale bone, but whale barnacles, which I thought was really cool because it, it clearly indicates that the Russian American company was probably supplying these people with whale meat didn't find the whale, direct evidence for the whale, but we found these barnacles that only grow on humpback whales.
0: So when Elutic whalers had to give away half of their whale to the Russian American company, it was to sites like this hunting camp at Cliff Point on Kodiak that the whale was destined. As Patrick mentioned, this hunting camp dates to the 1830s. This was a big time for the Gulf of Alaska, since it was in 1835 that Nantucket whalers first ventured to the area, naming it the Kodiak Grounds. Yankee whaling had come to Alaska. Six months we passed away on the cold Kamchatka
2: Sea. But now we're bound from the Arctic around, rolling down to old Maui. Yeah, the Yankee whalers were a huge problem for them. Um, and They were a huge problem because, especially after the 1840s and 1850s, when Americans started whaling intensively in the Kodiak grounds. Uh, the supply of whales, which were, as I said, crucial for uh, Russians' subjects, the indigenous people of Alaska, were dwindling. Notably, um, in fact, it was it was a real crisis from the um, administration's perspective, and they knew they knew what was going on. They could see. American whalers offshore. That's how audacious they were. They were, you know, just a couple of miles, a couple of hundred yards offshore, sometimes killing right whales and gray whales off Kodiak shores, and infuriated the Russians. Um, The Russian American archives are full of protests against uh, predatory whaling by Yankees. And and there's, um, there was some real. I think the Russian American Company had a a pretty valid claim. They figured out how to manage their fur seals and sea otters relatively well by the 1840s and 1850s and and the Yankees just came in and just pillaged these places.
0: Ryan notes that Russia lacked the naval presence in Alaska to be able to defend local shores or block the incursion of Yankee whalers within Alaska's waters. The Aleutic shaman with his slate lance now had to compete with a temple iron-wielding harpooner from New Bedford. Not only were the Yankee whalers killing whales that Alaskans relied on for sustenance, they were coming to shore and even raiding Alaska native villages. Oral histories recount this occurring at the village of Old Harbor on the southeastern side of Kodiak Island. Moreover, within the Aleutic Museum's collection is an incised ulu, that is, the tool used to butcher salmon. Scratched onto the surface of the ulu is a double-masted whaling ship festooned with flags with tripods for rendering blubber on deck
1: to the ice and wind and rain. Them coconut fronds, them tropical lands, we soon shall see again. Our stunts' bones is carried away. What care we for
0: that sound? It was only in the 1850s that Russia accessed the financing to start its own commercial whaling venture the country partnered with Finland to create the Russian Finnish Whaling Company, hoping to compete with the Americans and exert some more control over the North Pacific.
2: They they established this Russian Finnish Whaling Company with the hopes that this would finally be the solution to the problem. A bad time to start, of course, just as the whale populations were plummeting uh, throughout the North Pacific. Uh, and it should be said there was also not many Finns involved. They were involved in the financing, but the, the crews, as was typical in the 19th century, were, were hugely cosmopolitan. Ryan were,
0: explains that the captains were German, one of whom happened to be homicidal, and the crew were Portuguese, Americans, Hawaiians, Aleutic, and Unangan. But the Russian Finnish whaling company ended mostly in failure. It
2: was not very successful. Uh, it didn't only whale in Alaskan waters, it also whaled a lot in the Russian Far East, but th- there were a number of problems. Uh, first of all was this fact that they started whaling um, at a time when when whale populations were going down Uh, and then there was the unfortunate from the russian point of view outbreak of the crimean war uh, happened shortly after the first voyages were launched
0: the crimean war was fought from 1853 to 1856 the conflict pitted the russian empire against an alliance composed of great britain france and the ottoman empire one of the ships
2: uh, the turku named after the city where the
0: uh,
2: company was founded. It was sitting in the Sea of Ahutsk. When the outbreak of war uh, was announced, they looked around them. They saw 80 foreign ships uh, within sight, also whaling. Uh, And most of these were French and British, which were, of course, their enemies in the Crimean War. Uh, And the problem was that the mostly foreign whalers uh, defected. They didn't want any part of the risk that they were undergoing, especially uh, when they were on an or an enemy flagged ship during the Crimean War Uh, so they they started leaving as quickly as they could wherever they uh, touched land no one wanted a part of this war so the labor force just melted away Uh, the main ship beached itself in Kodiak, uh, buried all of its whaling gear, hoping to recover it later, then went on to Sitka. Uh, They hoped to leave, but that was at a time when there had just been recently a a Clinket attack, and so they were forced to stay uh, to provide uh, defense for Sitka. Uh, No one was happy about this.
0: In addition to the lateness of the enterprise and the Crimean War, Russian-American company policies also limited the profitability of the Russian-Finnish whaling company. The
2: the Russian-American company knew that what was going on was really bad for the Aleuts and the Aleutic, and they knew that starting a a Russian company or a Russian-Finnish company in this case would only exacerbate these problems. And so part of the agreement that the RFWC had to strike was that they had to be very careful about where they whaled. They were supposed to steer clear of the important places um, for uh, Aleuts and Aleutic people. Um, these places were, uh, Karluk was one of the most important in the Shalikov Strait. That was a place where a lot of drift whales washed up. And the most important site, um, by the way, was um, Spruce Island, the strait between Spruce Island and Kodiak. These places were like strictly off limits for the RFWC. They uh, they had to avoid them, which these were, of course, the richest places in Wales. Um, in, so they were deprived of the richest whaling grounds. They were supposed to give a fair amount of the oil um, for local purposes, as well as different parts of the whale. And so there, you, you, there was this kind of dual purpose that the, the company was supposed to serve. It was supposed to make money for the Russian Empire, but not harm uh, the Ala- Alaska's uh, native people at the same time. And that was a tricky balance. But it was uh, the fleet just melted away, basically. Uh, they 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 tried to make a comeback, but after this this was a totally snake bitten company. Uh, they they went to Honolulu in 1859. A couple of their ships um, sailed that fall happened to sail into one of the worst storms that the North Pacific saw in that decade. It demasted both of their ships. Uh, they, they limped back to Honolulu that same year. Basically, most of the capital invested was lost um, during these ventures.
0: The russian Finnish whaling company was the last attempt on the part of the Russians to profit from Alaska's whales, while Alaska was still a Russian possession. On the surface, it seems curious that Yankee whalers could make a go of it while the Russians couldn't, especially considering that the Yankee whalers had to sail all the way around Cape Horn and back up the west coast of South and North America before even making it to Russian waters. This whole time, these Alaskan whales are right in Russia's front yard, so to speak. But this isn't exactly the case. There were just sparsely populated villages on the Siberian coastline, and the voyage overland to where the bulk of the population and industry rested in Russia was extremely arduous and time intensive. It was easier to sail from the port town outside of St. Petersburg and around the entire world to reach Alaska, which became the common route of resupply. Moreover, financing and markets were a consideration.
2: So there there was no real market in Russia itself for whale products. Russia was not an industrial country. Uh, they didn't need it for machinery. Uh, the oil itself wasn't that valuable. They tried to sell it to Germany mostly. To to do that with four ships, relatively badly funded, was that, that was a very marginal venture. I mean, the reason the American whaling uh, community was so strong and vibrant was because they had a huge market. That they, that they could sell to. And they could also absorb losses. Whaling was a totally unpredictable enterprise. You might lose a lot of money on a voyage to but make it up with a 6,000% profit on another one. But you had to be able to weather those crises. And that, that's, I think, exactly uh, what the Russians lacked. They didn't have that kind of, um, those large streams of capital like the rapidly industrializing New England uh, did.
0: The incursion of Yankee whalers in Russian America was a sore spot for the Russians. It created acrimony between the two countries, and it's not necessarily indicative of the coming sale of Alaska to the United States in 1867. Nonetheless, Americans aboard those whaling ships came to know Alaska through whaling. It was also an early example of Americans profiting from Alaska's natural resources. When the Treaty of Session was signed, signaling the sale of Alaska to the United States, Senator Charles Sumner argued in front of his Senate colleagues that once the sale was finalized, American whalers could much more easily prosecute the hunt. He was banking on the establishment of West Coast ports and harbors to accommodate whaling fleets. So Alaska's whales were a consideration in the purchase. As for the Russian-Finnish whaling company, it wasn't a total wash, since it's those Russian whalers who went on to found Vladivostok on the Sea of Japan.
2: Uh, founded by ex-whalers from the Russian-Finnish whaling company, or in large part founded by them, um, Otto Lindholm being the most important example. I will tell you one anecdote about Lindholm because he was—he uh, went on to be an exceptionally important person in the Russian Far East and got his start really in Alaska with the Russian-Finnish whaling company. And he, uh, the first whale that they caught they harpooned um, within sight of Kodiak uh, the city of Kodiak and he um, it was a very ferocious whale, apparently. At least, if we believe Lindholm, it punctured a hole in his boat that he was in, uh, and he saved the crew. Again, this was his, these are his words. He saved the crew by putting his jacket on the hole. Inspired, as he said, by the skin boats of uh, the Alutik that he had seen, uh, and so he saved that he saved his crew's life and ended the whale's life at the same time through his adoption of Alutik technology. Uh, but he, but yeah, Lindholm was key figure in um, Russian whaling as it then moved uh, to the Sea of Okhotsk and off um, Kamchatka, key figure in founding the city of Vladivostok. But this was all in the future.
0: Russian whalers were to return to Alaska's waters eventually, but this next time as Soviets. And that's a different story entirely. As far as traditional Alutic whaling, the methods have not been practiced in Kodiak since the early 20th century. The whaling cult was so secretive that many of the rituals and traditions died with the shamans. Nonetheless, the persistence of slate lances in Alutic archaeological sites for 5,000 years and the continuation of whaling through the era of Russian colonization and the incursion of Yankee competition points to the effectiveness of the Alutic method just one man in a single-hatch kayak with totemic objects and a bag of mummy fat. This episode of Alaska Out of the Vault is brought to you thanks to the support of the Alaska Historical Commission, the Alaska State Office of History and Archaeology, and the Alaska State Museum. Special thanks to Patrick Saltenstall, Ryan Jones, Kodiak Public Broadcasting, the Alutic Museum, and the Dreadnoughts and Native Village of Afognak for the music. I'm Angeli Grantham. Thanks for listening.